If you have your Bibles, please find Matthew chapter 8. Thank you, Amanda and choir. Matthew 8, we're going to read verses 23 through 27 in a moment. Uh, As I begin, we're going to talk about storms uh, in a minute. We're going to talk about storms. As I begin, let me... um, let me just tell you, let you know that on, on your behalf, I have reached out uh, this week to our friends at the Temple B'nai Shalom. Uh, I have a number of friends there, and uh, the new rabbi, Rabbi Schwartz, is a new friend of mine, and I have expressed on your behalf our uh, pain over the, uh, uh, the attack on Israel and, and have said to them that we stand with them against the anti-Semitic uh, statements and and threats, some of, the, some of which have been uh, local. And I join you in praying for peace in the land of Abraham's covenant, the, the land of promise, the, the holy land. Well, let's talk about storms. I want to talk about life uh, storms, about winds of change, about economic uh, turbulence about emotional tempests, about spiritual disturbances, about life storms. And there's a well-known story in the Bible, we're about to read it, that speaks of a a storm, but it's important for us to know that this is a real live storm. This is not some metaphorical make-believe tale with a nice moral to it. It's a real live, genuine, bona fide storm with howling winds and blowing rains and, and dangerous waves. It's a real live storm. And if we keep that in mind, then there are some Wonderful life lessons to learn from it. First of all, so let's read Uh, Matthew 8, beginning at verse 23. Then Jesus got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, there are two things about that storm I always have wondered about. Number one, how did did a storm come up so suddenly that experienced fishermen like that didn't know that they should not get out on the water. All of, not all, some of Jesus's, many of them were fishermen, almost all of them were from that region of Galilee around the Sea of Galilee. Surely they would have been able to read the sky and know that when a storm was coming, you don't get out on a boat on the, on the sea. So, to help me answer that, I, I contacted Dr. John Christie, who is our state climatologist and um, is a member of our, our church. And I asked him, uh, how, how is it that a storm come up, comes up so suddenly? And I, I learned from Dr. Christie that 
that uh, the, the world around the Mediterranean, the, the Mediterranean Sea, which the, the Mediterranean world would have included the Sea of Galilee, and that, that in the spring, and this was probably in the spring, that, that the air and the, the waters begin to warm. But from time to time, a high-pressure system, I feel like I need a green sp- screen behind me, to, a high-pressure system comes rushing down from up north, from what is now Russia and, and Turkey, and, the, and, and those, the air comes rushing down toward the warmth of the of the Mediterranean and the low pressure system there and the, and the air tops Mount Hermon and the and the and the Golan Heights which are at the northern rim of Galilee and those that cold air nose dives into that bowl of a valley called Galilee and there is this this quick uh, confounding quasi geostrophic he taught, he taught me that, he taught, I don't know what it means, but it, it quasi-geostrophic collision, collision of these fronts, this cold and warm air, and it's sudden. It could not have been, even if they had been reading the, the clouds, the skies, they could not have known. So suddenly, they are in this serious squall, sudden, a sudden unexpected storm. How'd I do? Thumbs up, two thumbs up, good, all right. Now, there's another mystery about this. Jesus was asleep in the, in the boat during the storm. Mark is, uh, tells the story too, and he says he was asleep in the stern on a cushion. Interesting little tidbit of information, he's asleep on a cushion. He's asleep in the storm. And I've wondered, how is that possible? But I thought about it this week, and it's not completely unheard of that people would go to sleep in unusual places. I went to sleep, for example, we were living in Richmond. I went to sleep in the dentist's chair one time. They didn't give me gas, and I was not waiting on the dentist. The hygienist was cleaning my teeth, and I went to, went to sleep. And she thought that was really funny. I don't know why I went to sleep in the dentist's chair. Maybe it's because pastors are so terribly overworked. I don't know, but the <laughs> dentist, I went to sleep in the dentist chair. That's a mystery, but I'll give you an even greater mystery. Members of this very church (laughs) have been known to go to sleep while I'm preaching, which is a great, great mystery. Some of them in the choir, (laughs) on TV, yes, that's right. So we have established that it's not completely unheard of for people to go to sleep in unusual places. So Jesus is asleep in the boat. So there's a sudden storm and Jesus is asleep. So with those two questions perhaps answered, then let's, let's dig a little deeper and talk about two other questions, more profound, more significant questions uh, relevant to the, the storms of our lives. Why would a storm blow up when it's good people in the boat and when Jesus himself is in there with them? Why would a storm blow up and rock the boat of good people even with Jesus in the boat with them? One would think that if you're a good person, if you're a friend of Jesus, and they were, and if the master of the universe himself is in the boat with you, one would think that one would be immune to or protected from the storms. But that's not, that's not always true. 
Good people, faithful people, are not immune to storms. And there's some people who think that way, that if you're good, if you do the right thing, follow the rules, go to church, that God will bless you and with prosperity and protect you from harm. People thought that way in Jesus' day too, and Jesus worked hard to overcome that, that myth, that wrong way of thinking. He came with his friends to a blind man. They asked, who sinned, his parents or him? They, they assumed somebody had to sin if the storm blew in. Jesus said, do you not remember the tower that fell in Siloam? It was a news event. Do you remember the tower fell? Do you think Jesus asked him that the tower fell only on good people? Excuse me, on bad people? He said, do you think the, the tower fell only on bad people? And before they could answer wrongly, he answered himself, I tell you, no. The wind blew. The tower fell. Some good people were hurt as, along with the, the so-called bad people. And he told a parable of two people who built houses. Remember, he said one wise man built his house on the rock and a foolish man built his house on the sand and the storm blew, but it only blew on the house of the, 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 that was built on the sand. No, it blew on, on both houses. So, so the wind, the storm blew. Now this house remained because it was built on a solid foundation. This one crumbled because it was on a shaky foundation, but the storm blew on both houses. We were living in uh, Richmond in 2003 when Hurricane Isabel blew through. A couple of days after the storm, uh, our youngest son Grant and I were driving through the neighborhood. He was 13. We noticed that some, on some streets there were trees everywhere, houses damaged, cars damaged, and other streets it looked like the storm had not even blown. And Grant asked me, Dad, why is it that the storm destroys some street, or does such destruction on some streets and does not on others. I remember quoting from John 3, the wind blows where it will, but in actuality, I didn't have an answer. I, I don't know why. You couldn't have gone through the neighborhood and said, oh, that house is damaged. I bet a bad person lives there. Or this damage went unscathed. I bet that person is a good person. You can't say that. The storm blows into all our lives, good and, and not so good. And, and to think otherwise is not only wrong, it is unhealthy. I walked into a hospital room, living in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, a long time ago, walked into a hospital room. A lady had, uh, had had a terminal illness. She had cancer, and she knew she was dying. I walked into her room, and she was crying. And I, I asked her, why are, you, why are you crying? The doctor had not been in with... Um, with worse news, he, that was not the case. She was not in pain, that was not the problem. There were some people in the hospital going room to room. They had taken it upon themselves to go room to room to pray with people. And they had come into her room and said, you know, if you, if you just loved God more, and if you just lived better, and just prayed harder, you wouldn't be sick. Deeply devoted follower of Jesus broke her heart. Folks, it's, I do believe God blesses us and I do believe God protects us, but please, let's be clear. The Bible is clear. The storms blow into the lives of those who are good and have Jesus in the boat and, and those who don't. You can't, you can't, oh, something bad happened, what did I do? 
Something bad happened to him or her. What did he or she do? The storms blow indiscriminately. Storms blow uh, indiscriminately, even with good people who have Jesus in the boat. Second question, was asking Jesus to calm the storm the wrong question? Was, it, was that the wrong? Or, they, they said, Jesus, wake up. We're, we're going to drown. Calm the storm. Was that the wrong question? Jesus awoke, remember? And his first words were, I didn't realize there was going to be a geostrophic calamity here. <laughs> no, he said, where is your faith? Did Jesus sigh when he said that? Did Jesus think they're just not getting it when he said that? Was he disappointed? Was he frustrated? Was he maybe even a little bit exasperated? Why would he ask them, where's your faith? Was it Leonard Sweet, think, Sweet thinks, and I think Sweet is right, that, that maybe Jesus, his, his first intention for them was not to still the storm, but to help them ride the storm. Maybe, maybe his intention for them was that they would learn that you can ride the storm and survive. So you said for, for Jesus to calm the storm, well, that was cool. But to ride the storm, well, that would be gnarly. Carrie and I were in Honolulu for the Baptist World Alliance several years ago. After the meeting, we toured the island, and we went to the to a cliff looking down at the ocean below and watched these surfers, these unbelievably athletic, these agile men surfing these waves that were so high. When those surfers are in the water and the wind gets up and the waves are twice as tall as they, they don't, they don't pray for the winds to cease and the waters to calm. They grab their surfboards is it possible that in your life, God's intent would not be always at least to calm the storm? Would it, is, it, is it possible, I think it is, that his intention for us is to, to learn how to ride the storm? For example, your, your finances are in trouble. You know, you've invested in the wrong things or for whatever reason, your you're bleeding money. Maybe, maybe instead of God fixing the entire economy so that your 401k is all right, maybe his intention is that you learn, okay, what is life like if I'm not completely dependent on my money? Or your job is in jeopardy. Maybe, maybe God will fix the entire company so that you don't get laid off. Or maybe God's intention is that you learn what it's like to, that, that, that you have an opportunity to wed your, your heart's passion with your work. And maybe that hasn't been the case. And maybe this disruption in your vocation is an opportunity for you to put your heart and your work, your paycheck together. Maybe you're supposed to ride the storm. Or my health is failing. Well, instead of God healing me, maybe his intent is that I learn what my new life will look like. Or my heart is broken. Maybe God's intention is for me to ride this storm so that my, my hurt can become a source of healing for other people. 
Maybe, maybe the int- God's intent is sometimes that we ride the storm. Now, I don't want to be callous and I don't want to be insensitive. I would never walk into an emergency room or into a funeral home and say, hey, everybody, let's just ride the storm. That would be insensitive and callous and ridiculous. So sometimes, sometimes the storm is just too devastating. And sometimes the pain is too deep. And sometimes the wound is too fresh. So to address the deep, sto- the, the devastating storms and the deep pain, I want us to go to the Adriatic Sea. We're going to move. We're going to move westward now. Thirty years after that storm on Galilee, to another storm. Acts twenty-seven tells that story. Paul was a prisoner on a ship. The Adriatic Sea is just east of uh, Italy. He was a prisoner on a ship sailing, they were going to dock, and then they would go overland to Rome. On the Adriatic Sea that night, Acts 27 says, at first the wind was from the south, and it was a gentle wind that gently pushed them along. But suddenly, the wind changed directions and changed demeanors. And suddenly, it was not a gentle southern wind, but it was a northeaster. Hurricane-like forces tossed the boat like a, like a toy boat in a tub with a two-year-old. They were, for two weeks, 14 days and nights, the ship, the crew, the passengers, Paul, were in peril. Now, they landed, and they all survived. But there are two things from that storm that I believe are very hopeful for those of us for whom the storm has been devastating and the pain is profound and the wound is fresh. There are two words, from two two sayings, two two phrases, I should say, from that storm that, that should be helpful to us. Number one, your ship might not make it, but you will. Listen, Acts 27, 22. Paul addresses the crew and passengers. Now, he's the prisoner, but he addresses them. I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Ship ain't going to make it. But you all, on on the other hand, he says, you're going to be all right. Your ship... Might not make it. Your job might not be saved. Your ship, those things so important to you, might not, might not make it. Your spouse might not stay. Those things so important to you might not last. The, the good might not happen. Your prodigal son or daughter might not return like the young man in Jesus' parable did, your ship might not survive. But you, you will be okay. And that is hope. That is biblical hope. Hope is not some Pollyanna idea that everything's going to turn out all right, even my ship. Hope says the ship may be destroyed. But by God's grace and strength at the core of who I am, not my circumstances, not my surrounding, but at the core of who I am, I'm going to be okay. That is hope. Paul says your ship, the ship will be destroyed, but you are going to be okay. The second word 
from this storm for you, if the, st- if the storm is devastating and the pain is profound and the wound is fresh, the second word for you is this, morning is coming. Acts 27, 29, fearing that, Paul writes, fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. The crew knew what to do. They did everything possible. They discarded the cargo that was unnecessary. They did everything possible. But in the end, the only thing left was to drop anchor and, exp- and wait for and pray for the calm that dawn would bring. And you may have done all you know to do. Morning's coming. So you're, the sound of the thunder is deafening. Morning is coming. Your boat's taken on water. Uh, morning is coming. When you've done all that you can, exhausted all your resources, morning is coming. When the night is long and dark, Morning is coming. You won't be surprised if you've been around here a while to hear me quote Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Your ship might not make it, but you're going to be okay. And the, the night may be long, and it might be dark, and it might be stormy, but morning is coming. On Palm Sunday, 1994, a tornado blew suddenly into Piedmont, Alabama. The people of the Goshen United Methodist Church were gathered for their Palm Sunday worship service. And without any warning at all, the tornado hit, and when it was gone, it left 20 Members of that church dead, including Hannah, the four-year-old daughter of the pastor, Reverend Kelly Clem. Some of you were here back in the summer when I talked about that storm, that tornado, and I invited uh, Reverend Clem to speak. She came up, and I interviewed her. She told us about that horrific day. Well, that weekend, uh, Kelly's husband, Dale, came with her. He's also a minister, and he wrote a book about that that devastating tornado titled uh, Winds of Fury, Circles of Grace. And it's a heartbreaking book, but it's a hopeful book. He said that um, a couple of days after uh, the tornado, he walked out in his backyard. You know, the church was here, the house was here, the pastorium or parsonage was here. And so he walked out in the backyard to survey the damage. He said their shed, you know, where the lawnmowers and the tools and all, you know, the big shed had been picked up and twisted. He said there was a bicycle, um, trees down everywhere, there was a bicycle among the trees. He had no idea where the bicycle had come from. He said their, their picket fence was gone. Their canoe was gone. No, no sign of the canoe. 
Their, their daughters, they had two daughters before Hannah was killed, Hannah and Sarah. Hannah was four and Sarah was two at the time of the tornado. They, their daughter's playground was gone. Gone. Nowhere to be found. Their camper, gone. Everything, gone. Except right where he had left it, was a red wheelbarrow. The winds had cleared the place out. And mysteriously, there sat the red wheelbarrow right where it was. Before the storm, that wheelbarrow had been a tool they'd use for light work, hauling branches and things. Mainly, uh, uh, Hannah and Sarah liked riding around in it. Daddy would push them around in that red wheelbarrow. And there it sat. After the storm, um, the wheelbarrow became a tool for volunteers, many of them strangers, that flooded into Piedmont to help clean up. And that, that wheelbarrow was used to, to haul blocks and debris from the destroyed Goshen United Church building. And the wheelbarrow became a symbol for Dale Clem. It became a symbol of resilient faith, of a faith that would, um, would not be destroyed even by a deadly tornado. It became a symbol of, the, of rebuilding. He, he talked about them, that wheelbarrow, now being useful. It held such painful but beautiful memories of Hannah and Sarah riding around on it, giggling in the backyard, but now it became a tool of rebuilding. It became for him, for Dale Clem, a symbol of hope and a future. Now, I hope you'll forgive my simplicity, but if the storm has been devastating, there's a wheelbarrow somewhere. For you, whatever the storm has left, taken away, whatever it has removed from your life, as painful as that is, there's a wheelbarrow somewhere. There is some symbol that you can find and cling to of hope and a future. There is some way of rebuilding your life. There's a wheelbarrow somewhere. Your ship might not make it, but you will. And morning, after the long stormy night, morning is coming. And we sing because we are still people of hope. Our song is 406. We invite you to sing with us, expressing our hope, but we also invite you to come forward. This morning, a young lady came forward in the early service. Maybe you will join her today to come and be part of our church family. If you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you haven't been baptized like those two young men were this morning. You want to go public with your faith. We'd be thrilled.